Well, good morning. It's good to see you today. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us uh, right now on the internet or an off-site campus or one of the venues in the warehouse or chapel here. <clears throat> We're glad that you guys are along also. How many of you would rather be here than the best uh, marathon uh, in town right now? How, how many of you would? Okay. I, I tell you what, I woke up this morning, I don't know if anybody else did, but I popped on the television and the Olympics was doing the women's marathon. I'm thinking, we need to take an offer and get those ladies a car. You, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's just a lot of running. That just really is a lot of running. We're excited about this weekend, excited about you guys being here. Um, let, me, let me tell you uh, one of the things that I think is so great about the weekend is I've, I'm going to introduce you, some of you, some of you know them already, uh, to one of my friends. Um, it's always a privilege to do that. His name is Chris Hodges, and uh, Chris and I met about uh, probably 13 years ago, maybe, maybe a little bit more than that. And um, uh, Chris was, had a desire to plant a church in Birmingham, uh, Alabama. And uh, so we said, let's go for it, and kind of partnered with them a little bit. And they planted the church, Church of the Highlands in Birmingham. It became actually the prototypical, the, the prototype model of church planting uh, that we uh, together started the ARC, the Association of Related Churches, which we both serve on the board now. I'm, I'm the president, he's the board of uh, chairman, uh, and so he's actually my boss now, I guess. But uh, uh, we, uh, uh, they planted the church, and it became a great church. I, I tell you what, it's one of the, the greatest churches in America. How many of you know when you had kids, you know, you'd always mark, you know, their growth in the closet or whatever, you know, and just kind of put a little something on their head and, and mark it. And, and one of those days that was a great day, or maybe it wasn't a great day for some of you, is when your, your child outgrew you. And Church of the Highlands outgrew their parents. This is a church of nearly 20,000 people every weekend. And uh, God is just blessing, 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 blessing. Uh, Chris is a great leader. Uh, he um, uh, just wrote a book. I wish it was out. It's going to be out in one month. We'll make it available uh, to you guys here. It's going to be just an awesome book. I've seen the kind of the previews of it. And um, great guy, has a great word uh, for the church. And I, Oh, I forgot to mention, he's an overseer here at our church. Uh, we have kind of as a part of our, our structure, we have five pastors uh, from outside of Seacoast that love our church and love your pastor. And they're there for accountability and also to help us if, there would ever, uh, need, if we'd ever need to call them in on a situation, which we hope we never will. But they personally help me all the time and are great friends of mine. So I want you to welcome, if you would, uh, with a great big Seacoast welcome, Chris Hodges as he comes just to share, share the word. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, buddy. Well, what an honor it is to be at Seacoast. It's been a few years uh, since I've been here to speak and to spend some time with you guys, so it's always an incredible honor. And I want to take a second and give you the chance to show your appreciation um, to your pastor. You know, um, it was actually about 12 years ago, we met 13 years ago, but 12 years ago, I'd started the whole church planting process and uh, came in to Seacoast to uh, really learn from your model and, uh, and Greg is very humble about your involvement in our church plant, but uh, I flat out would not have done it had he not only encouraged me, trained me, uh, but you guys uh, invested a third of our launch budget, and then he said, um, he said, 
then, and we'll guarantee your income for the first year of the church. And I said, what does that mean? That sounds good, but I don't know what that means, you know. And he said, well, he says, you guys, just, you're going to make budget the first year. Anytime you take an offering or that month's offerings and you're, you're below budget, Seacoast is going to write you a check um, to make it come up to budget for an entire year. So you don't, no, no worries the first year. And that literally became the seed idea for ARC. Now we do that for 80 churches Every year, we're at about an 80 church a year pace, um, planting them, and we're giving them upfront money and guaranteeing their income that first year. And we were able to reinvest it all back. This was the only thing that Pastor Greg asked that whatever we give you, would you just give it to another church planter next? And we did that within four or five months, gave every bit of what you invested. And now we've done it 300 times. I talk about Seacoast and Highlands and other churches. Come on, give God all the praise for that. Yeah. And so honestly, this, this is, I'm not saying this just to, just to say this. This is really true. You guys are, are, are very responsible for that whole thing beginning and your generosity, your faithfulness, your amazing pastor. And, um, and I love him. I really love him with all my heart. He's, um, he's one of the very few people that speak into my life and mentors me and trains me. And, and, I, and I'm just so honored to be uh, a part of Seacoast and, and just love, love, love what's going on here with campuses all across the known universe. You guys are growing and it's just amazing. It's an amazing thing. And um, well, one of the things that Pastor Greg did not tell you about, about me that you may not know is that I have a church in Alabama, but I'm from South Louisiana. I'm a Cajun, everybody, all right? Which means we ain't that smart, but we're going to have a good time today, all right? That's what's going to happen. <laughs> Yeah, there are, right now there are nine reality shows on TV about Cajuns. Y'all know that? Like, and it's not because we're smart, it's because we're funny, we're interesting, we're strange, you know, and so people are watching like crazy. So Swamp People, Duck Dynasty. Yeah, baby. Uncle Si, wherever you at, baby. All right. And so And then he also didn't tell you that I, I'm, I've been married 26 years to, uh, to my sweetheart. And, uh, and we have five kids, five kids. And I brought three of them with me. They're, they're actually going to come to the next service. They're, they're still sleeping right now. And, um, but I brought, I brought three of my five, five kids with me. And, um, and people always say, man, that's a lot of kids. You must really like kids. And I say, no, I don't. Um, I really like my wife. And uh, so uh, <laughs> I stopped after two. I don't know about you, but I, that was not my plan. And... Um, that's another series, though, another message. We'll come back to th- That's an important one. We'll come back to that another day, though. How about All right. I want you to open your Bibles with me or your iPads or your iPhones or your message notes or, or just jot this verse down uh, in your worship guide if you're taking notes today to John chapter 4, John chapter 4, and we're going to begin in verse 27. John chapter 4, verse 27. I have a very simple message today. And I wanted to serve as a reminder of something that you're already good at, but that there's this tendency for all of us, myself included, to kind of get away from. And I think this is an important message for an important season that we're all in right now as a church. So I just want this to serve uh, as a reminder for all of us of something that is so priority, so key to God. And then we'll have a good time, tell some stories and learn the Bible just a little bit better as well. Let me set up uh, the, where we're going to read today. Uh, Jesus and his disciples are, of course, ministering. This is actually one time where the disciples went off, ran an errand, did something, and Jesus was not with them. And so while they were away, 
he goes over to a well where there's this woman drawing water, and he strikes up a conversation with her, which would have been culturally unacceptable for several reasons. One is you just didn't really do that uh, because of the gender issues. But most men in that culture and in that day would consider women very much beneath them, and you wouldn't even bother reaching out to them. And here's Jesus breaking all the barriers and loving someone and showing attention to someone who probably society had rejected in a lot of ways. And he ministers to her, and he kind of reads her mail and tells her things about her life he couldn't have possibly known. So it was quite the conversation. And picking it up in verse 27, it says, Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. They were like, what are you doing? Why are you talking to her? I mean, that's, so this is what they're thinking. And then I want you to notice the next line because I think it's one of those lines that we have a tendency to kind of brush by in the Bible that actually has a lot of meaning. And no one asked, look at this, no one asked, Jesus, what do you want? Is there anything we can do for you? Is there, what, do, what do you want? Now, you would think, they know by now he's the son of God. He's Jesus. He does miracles. You just think if you're a disciple, you're on his team, you're going to ask that question. Oh, by the way, master, is there anything we could do for you? But they didn't ask that. And, and, and no one asked her, what do you want? And then no one even asked, why are you talking with her? Again, if you're a student and a disciple, wouldn't it make sense that if you see something you don't understand that's strange, that's out of the ordinary, you would say, hey, what are you doing? And tell, maybe, you know, we don't get it, so explain this to us a little bit. But they didn't ask that. They didn't ask that. They weren't thinking about him. They were thinking about themselves. And in the next verse, he says, then leaving the water jar, now notice this, the woman went back to town and said to her people, the, her town people, hey, come see a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Christ? She got it, all right? And look at verse 30. And the whole town came out and made their way to him. So now picture this. Jesus and the disciples are talking. They're not concerned at all about Jesus, what he's doing, what does he need. But the whole town is coming out now that from where she's from. And, and while they were coming out toward him, look what verse 31 says. Meanwhile, his disciples said, hey, rabbi, let's eat something. <laughs> let's eat something. So again, picture this. Major ministries going on here. A life had just been changed. And now an entire town is coming out to meet Jesus. And the, and the disciples want to know what's for lunch. Just notice this. Just look at the disconnect. Look at the selfishness. Look at the don't get it. Can't understand the weight of the moment. And Jesus said, guys, guys, look at the verse 32. He said, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Notice, I am so passionate about something other than lunch right now. I mean, we got a whole town coming. I have food to eat that you know nothing about. In verse 33, and the disciples said, did you already eat? I mean, they still didn't get it. Like, did someone bring you food? Did you already? What happened? Did we? And, they, and they're not understanding. Again, even when he tries to explain it. So Jesus tries attempt number two to explain what's going on here. Verse 34, my food, said Jesus, my food, what, 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 what feeds me, what I'm passionate about, what I'm focused on today. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish the work. My food. You want to know what Jesus is passionate about today? He's passionate about finishing the work. He has a different thing that motivates him today. And he says, you keep saying, verse 35, four months more and then the harvest. Let's just wait a little bit longer. Let's don't do it now. And I tell you, 
open your eyes. Come on, at all the campuses, say those three words. Open your eyes. Try it one more time. Every voice, open, open your eyes. I've entitled this message today, Open Your Eyes. Look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. Father, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that just for the next few minutes as we look at your word and as we tell stories and as we laugh and as we think about what's on your heart today, God, that you would do something inside of us, way beyond our minds. Let something be written on our hearts today. And I pray especially for every person today, Lord, who just needs to experience you in a great way. We invite you here, Lord, and open our hearts to your ways. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I think it's been three or four years since I've been here, and when I was here last, you didn't see these. These are new. Had perfect eyesight for 44 years. I mean, I could see the freckle on that. I mean, really, I mean, that's just perfect eyesight. And then all of a sudden, I can't see anything. Just like it literally happened overnight. And I really didn't even know it, didn't, didn't notice it until I was sitting at a football game with, with uh, my boys were playing in and my sister's sitting next to me. And I can't read the, the, the names on the back of the jerseys. And my sister takes her glasses off and said, try this. And I put them on. It's like the whole world came in 3D again. Like, wow, high definition. You know, and I could see again. So um, I put it off for two more years. And I don't know, what are we thinking? You know, like, why is not seeing at the top of our list? I don't understand that. But anyway, I, I finally went to the doctor because it kind of got worse. And and I'd never been to that eye doctor because I had perfect eyesight. So I didn't know any of the drill, didn't know any of the routine, didn't know what to expect. And that's quite the experience for the first time, by the way. I mean, they had this one thing. Come on, you glass, glasses wearers, you know what I'm talking about. You sit there. My doctor didn't even tell me it was coming. It's like, Poof, and there's that puff of air. Remember that? It's like, I said, what did you just do? Oh, this glaucoma check. I'm like, bro, if I didn't have something wrong, I'd do now. You know what I mean? Anyway, but... Uh, so there's all these things. It's quite the experience. I kind of enjoyed it, you know. And anyway, he comes back in, and he says, hey, well, we got you figured out. I said, great. He goes, you're nearsighted. The guy said, no, no, doc, I'm not nearsighted. I said, I, I can see the near stuff. It's the far stuff that's the problem out there. And, yeah, some of you are laughing because you know, you know, they got it backwards, right? The eye doctor's got to have it backwards. It's the only medical profession that names your condition for what you can do. That's like going to a doctor with a broken arm, and they says, well, your leg works. I mean, it just makes no sense. <laughs> so, they, so when you have a problem with that, they name it for this. So I can't see the far. I was like, I can't see any of that. All you guys, I don't see it. I can see, I can see every hair on my hand. I can see every piece of dust on my iPad. I can't see you at all. I'm, I'm what they would call nearsighted, which, again, I think is backwards. But anyway, I said, oh, okay, I got it. All right. So he gave me some glasses. Now I can see, I can see all that just fine. And, uh, and when I'm driving away from the doctor, God did what he normally does and uses simple truths like that, simple illustrations to speak spiritual truth to me. And the Lord's like he spoke to me. He says, you know that's your condition from time to time as well spiritually. That there's just this natural tendency to be really, see all this really clear. The stuff that's really close to me. My family, my bills, my stuff. And it's like the Lord says, because you can tell because I, it's what you pray for. You can tell what you're passionate about. What, he, you can tell what you see based on kind of what you're talking to God about. And I would talk to the Lord when I spend time with him about my stuff. Kind of, I call it nearsighted vision. And really don't see that too well, so let's not talk about it. But what the Lord wants all of us to do is open our eyes. And if you could realize that we've got a whole town coming, and you're thinking about lunch, 
You're, we've, we've got an opportunity for massive revival right now, like for a whole city to be shaken, and you're thinking about food? You, you want to know what's for lunch? And I just personally think that's all of our gravitational pull. I think every one of us have a, I, I don't know about you, but it's, selfishness is very easy for me. I, I have a natural bent toward it. I just tend to think that's this way. And I think, I think it's very important from time to time that we be reminded, especially in a successful church. Here you guys are, 14 campuses, one of the leading model churches in, in America. I mean, that, that our church and many others, hundreds, thousands of others, are literally patterning themselves after. I met a pastor came to the service last night. I mean, just, he just what are you doing? Just in, how, in town, learning from one of the greatest churches in America. It'd be very easy to sit back and say, man, look what we have done. But the truth is, if we were to capture the heart of God, and if we were to be concerned about what he was concerned about today, and if we were to pray, not just give me this day my daily bread, but your kingdom come, your will be done. What are you thinking about? What is your, what's on your prayer list? I, I just think the three words that he might say to us today is that don't, don't forget to put on the glasses. Open, open your eyes. And be sure everything's not nearsighted, but be sure you have some far-sighted vision as well. Um, you do this well, but I want to stir you. Here we are coming into a fall season with a series coming up on relationships. Uh, it's an awesome opportunity all across the nation. I don't, really don't understand it, but somehow in the same way that there's this fall harvest in the, you know, in the earth with, with vegetables and fruit, and all, this, in the same way, somehow it happens spiritually that, that by and large, all across the calendar year, more people will come to Christ in the fall. I don't really know why that happens, but it does. And so there's an opportunity right here, right now, for this to kind of be an important thing for us uh, to remember. Now, the problem is we don't see it. We don't really have the glasses on, so I want to help you see some stuff today, all right, and put the glasses on and see some things. Did you know that right now there are about 7 billion people on this planet? And there are 2.1 billion people who are claiming Christianity. Let's just say they all have it right. They are all genuine believers. They're all going to heaven. That would still leave 4.9 billion people that if all this ends today, man, they spend eternity without God. And no one flinched. No one's crying. No one's upset by that. Why? Because it's just a big old number that we can't see. I want to help you see it today. I want to help you see it because I'm convinced that if we can see it, everything changes. In fact, uh, last night, one of the pastors here was talking about how a person out on your highway here got thrown from a car and a semi hit this person. He saw it right there. It's like one, and some of you gasped right there by that one person. All of a sudden, because you can picture that in your mind. I'm convinced you can never have passion for that which you cannot see. So 4.9 billion can't see it. Help me see it. All right, I'm going to help you see it. So let me help you see it by connecting to some things that you already have seen. Uh, one of the things that I personally witnessed was on April 27th last year, about a year and a half ago, these tornadoes swept through my town, Tuscaloosa and Birmingham. In just a matter of moments, 239 people dead in our town. And by the way, thank you. Your church not only sent teams of people, but you invested, and we helped tens of thousands of families recover from that awful tragedy. It was a mess. 
I mean, it leveled an entire community. Do you know how many 239 people are? I want you to picture this. If we were to put them in a line, I want you to picture the line in your mind's eye and start it right here on this stage and heel to toe. So I mean, like they're, they're chest to back in a straight line. Uh, 239 people would go about 80 yards, so almost the length of a football field. I want you to just picture that in your mind. All of a sudden, when you can see it, you can feel it, and you have a bit more passion and compassion for it. I want to connect you to another day that all of us were were very emotional about. Remember 9-11, September 11th, 2001. Remember that day when those planes hit the towers? Some say, I think one of the numbers I heard was 2,996 people died. Bam! Gone in one second. Just just dead. 2,000, almost 3,000 people died on that horrible day. Do you know how many people that is? Put them in a line, chest to back, heel to toe. Make a straight line. Start on this stage for here at the Long Point campus. If you've been here, some of you guys at the other campuses have. It would go literally from this stage all the way out to 526. It's a half a mile long. Line of people. So imagine making that drive when you leave today and just imagining a line of people. That's how many died in that moment. All of us can feel that. Let me connect you to another one. Remember uh, the day after Christmas 2004? Remember the tsunami that hit the Pacific Rim? Remember that big giant wave? 250,000 people died in one moment. One wave, bam, gone. We all felt that day. We sent aid. We the whole world watched and cried and prayed. Remember that day? Put that many a line. You know, you, might, you know how many 250,000 people is? If you started right here on this stage, heel to toe, chest to back, and, and, and made a line of people, it would go all the way up the coast of South Carolina to Georgetown, 47 miles. Made that drive lately? Imagine a line of people dead one moment. Do you have any idea how long the line would be of 4.9 billion? Do you think it would go past South Carolina, past Atlanta, maybe all the way six and a half hour drive to Birmingham, where I'm from? It actually would. You'd actually, there would still be people to put in the line all the way to Dallas, to Phoenix, all the way coast to coast, from Charleston, South Carolina, all the way to Los Angeles. But there would be still people to put in the line. You'd have to build a bridge across the Pacific Ocean to keep lining people up. I made that flight recently from L.A. to Sydney, 15 hours to cross that ocean. All right? Well, there would still be people to put in the line even when you got across the ocean. I'm talking about at the widest point of the earth. And when you got across the the entire Pacific Ocean to the Pacific Rim, there would still be people to put in the line. You have to go all the way across Asia and the Middle East and the northern part of Africa, and there'd still be people to put in the line. So you'd have to build another bridge all the way across the Atlantic Ocean, and where this line started here on this stage, the line would meet the line of people. The first person could turn around and shake hands with the person. It would make an entire lap around the globe at its widest point at the equator. But there would be still people to put in the line. It would not just go around the globe once. It would go around the globe twice. Five times. Ten times. Fifteen times. Twenty times. Twenty-five times. Thirty times. Thirty-five times. Thirty-seven point three times around the widest part of our globe if we were to put them all in a line, heel to toe, chest to back. 
So if you imagine what the Lord's looking at today, I'm sure he enjoys all the wonderful congregations that meet. But according to Luke chapter 15, his eyes really aren't on the found. (laughs) They're on the lost. Three times in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells stories. Lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. And every time the conclusion was the same. I'm very grateful for that which I have, but I'm more distracted by that which is lost. You want to know what he's looking at today when he puts on the glasses? All I know, it's very different than what I woke up this morning thinking about. I was thinking about where's my coffee. I uh, wonder if it's raining today. I'm, it's, I have a gravitational pull towards selfishness. Always have, probably always will. I have to actively put on the glasses and remind myself to open my eyes. You're one of the best at it. You're one of the churches that have reached more people. But I'm here to remind you. I learned it from you. But I'm here to remind you, never forget Never forget that there's a world that is so much bigger than just the stuff right around here. There are 37.3 lines around that we have to continue. What what is my food, Jesus says? My food is 37.3 lines around and to finish that work. And I know you've done a lot, Seacoast, but we need to keep keep doing it for the glory of God. Can you say a good amen, everybody? Amen. Amen. That's right. That's that, 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 is, it, that is the message the Lord wanted all of us to hear. Why? Why? Because it's really important to him. He is distracted by that which is lost. If you've ever lost something of value to you, and I'm sure you ever lost your wallet or your keys or your watch, and when you've lost something, when you lost something, it's like, where is it? You know? And when you've lost it, you don't, you, don't, you don't think about the stuff you have. Like if you lost your keys, you don't go, well, there's my glasses. Well, that's all right. You know, I have my glasses. You know, you don't. You just, you're distracted. I actually lost one of my kids once. I know, it's funny now, but it wasn't funny then, you know, and actually lost, one, my, my middle son, David, was gone, he's just gone, and, um, and, and if you're ever looking for someone, there's this point in looking for a child, that it goes from, I wonder where he is, and we trial the places, it, it, there's a point where it crosses over into panic, like, no, he's missing, like, he's been kidnapped, and you, there's, there's a point where it goes from looking to freak out, okay, we cross that, and I'm, 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 I'm freaking out, panic, crazy, just insane, just you're looking everywhere. And there was never a moment, there was never a moment while I was looking for David where I thought, I got four others. <laughs> you know, you just don't. In fact, they're in my way. It's like, move, move. Help, help me find him or get out of my way. And you just wonder sometimes if that's not what the Lord you know, you lunch, really? Really, lunch? That's what you're thinking about, really. Really? Help me or get out of my way. Be, be on my search team or just, you know, I'm not, I, I love you. Yeah, I love you, but help me find, help me find David. By the way, I know you want to know the rest of the story. He was hiding under the bed. And he ain't never done that again. I just want y'all to know. So <laughs> We had a little conversation. After I hugged him and kissed him, I was like, don't you ever do that again. And so it we had a little conversation about that. As my, my pastor used to say, the, I, I applied the, the Board of Education to the seat of learning. No, I doubt that. Yeah, I really did. <laughs> I, I just hugged him and kissed him, and oh, what was lost is now found, you know. And, and, uh, and that's how the Lord feels. In fact, in fact, the reason why I think God's amazing grace has been on you in this church the way it has, because Jesus promises if you'll commit to what I'm passionate about, well, if you'll commit to my food, Lo, I'm with you always. For every person who helped me find David, every person who got a part of that search committee, man, I just, I'm so grateful for 
and he is the same with us. I just want to encourage you, Seacoast, to never get your eyes off of this. Now, 11 years ago, right before we planted our church, I came to one of your membership classes to learn. I was taking notes. I took everything I could learn from you guys to use to go launch our church. And one of the things I learned, I don't even know if you guys still do this in your membership class, but they were teaching members how to reach their friends. Because one of the things that most believers are the most afraid of is sharing Christ. We feel unqualified. I don't know how to do that. I know it's important. I want to open my eyes. I want to be a part of this. But I don't really know what to say. And I'll never forget how easy it was presented. And I have personally, I've led every one of our membership classes since then. And I've shared the same four things. I want to give them to you. If you're taking notes today, just write down four little phrases. I'm going to show you how easy this can be. Four little things that can help every one of us in reaching people. And the first is, you do have to accept the personal responsibility. In other words, you can't think that, well, you know what, God will use somebody else, or you know what, that's not really up to me. I just want to say to you, it really is up to us. Like, let me say it this way, God doesn't have a plan B. You're, you're it. <laughs> Your plan is, his plan is you. That's the truth. The Bible says that he's entrusted to you and to me the ministry of reconciliation where we tell people, hey, your sins don't have to be counted against you. They can be forgiven. He's entrusted that message to you. In other words, he's not going to do it himself. He's given that to you and to me. All right. Okay. We, so the first step is just to feel the weight of that. But here's the second step because a lot of us don't really know what to do. The second thing is, is you have to realize that reaching people is no more difficult than just developing a personal relationship with someone. See, some people talk themselves out of the whole reach people because you think in order to reach, you've got to explain or even argue better what you believe than what they believe. And it's not true. People don't care what you know. They just want to know that you care. If you'll just love someone, if you'll just, just buy them a coffee, but just spend some time with them, just ask them what's going on in their life, and be there for them during their darkest moments, I promise you, I, I, I promise you, that person, that love reaches that person like nothing else, to develop a personal relationship. The third thing, I mean, if you're, just, if you're going to take this journey and say, you know what, God, I'm going to hear this message. I'm going to open my eyes. I'm not going to be just focused on their nearsighted living. I'm, I'm going to put my eyes on the 37.3 lines around, and I'm going to do my job for the area that I live in, and my friends, my family, my coworkers, my neighbors. Man, I accept that responsibility. I've developed that personal relationship. And here's the genius one. You ready for this? Share your personal story. Probably the greatest revelation I ever got about evangelism was realizing that evangelism is not telling someone what's wrong with them. Hey, you're going, like we say in Alabama, you're going to hell. You know, like, it's, that's a two-syllable word where I'm from, you know. You're going to hell. That's your problem. You're going to hell. If you don't turn, you're going to burn. You know, like, that's not the message. That's really not the message, you know. A lot of times we think evangelism is just proving how wrong people are and you, whatever you believe is not going to work and we're right. That's not evangelism. Jesus said, go be my witnesses. You know what a witness does? Tells their side of the story. Can I tell you the difference that Jesus has made in my life? Man, I don't have it all together, but everything's changed. Man, I even sleep a little better. I'm like, my marriage is better. And that's why Jesus said, look, go, go make a difference by just being light. Light, just shine what's happened inside of you. And he says, and they'll see your good works, see how your life is, and they'll want to glorify your God in heaven. Hey, how, do you, how, do you, how, are you, how are you doing that? Well, it's just the difference the Lord makes. Man, I went to church. I went to church 
for years and could not wait for it to be over. And I'll never forget the day that it went from the got to to the get to. And now, man, it's the day I look forward to the most. And now to share that with people, because everybody I know really doesn't like church. It's like, what time is this going to be over? I can't wait for this to be over. And that's my story. That's the light that I share with people. They go, well, how do I have some of that? And, you know, and share with them just your personal story. So, again, if we're going to open our eyes, put on the glasses, it's no more than just accepting the responsibility, developing the relationship, sharing the story. And here's the last one. Give a personal invitation, an invitation. So, Chris, that's the part where I, don't, that's where I don't really know how to do it. I don't know how to give the invitation. Well, I'm not saying necessarily the invitation to Christ. I'm saying just give them the invitation to one of the greatest churches on the planet. I promise you, I promise you that the, that the service that you come to where an unchurched uh, uh, person who's away from God is seated next to you, and somewhere in the response time or in the service, you know that they're responding to God for the first time in their life. I promise you, it's going to be your favorite service you ever attended in your life. And I remember Pastor Greg said something. I wrote it down. I've said it in every membership class for 11 years now at our church. He said, look, you do what I can't do. I'll do what you can't do. And what I can't do is know all your friends. And what you can't do, perhaps, is explain this to your friends in a way where they want it. This team will work hard. They'll, all week long, they'll prepare great music and great worship guides and great children's ministry and great series and great, 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 and you're the best at it. I mean that. And so it's all to set you up just to have that person seated next to you in a series that's coming up. I'm just saying, church, you do it the best of everyone I've ever seen, but I know there's a gravitational pull to selfishness. Don't forget to keep the glasses on and see the far-sighted vision. Let me close with this story. About five years ago, I had gotten invited to uh, speak at a church in Boston, the Boston area. And, um, and I said yes because he's going to take me to Fenway Park, too. I said, yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> and, so, uh, and so I jumped on a plane from Birmingham to Cincinnati, Cincinnati to Boston. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Delta guy. And so I went to the Cincinnati hub there. And on the Cincinnati to Boston flight, I'm on the plane first because I'm medallion, which basically says I get, on, I get on first, you know. And so I'm back there in my seat. I'm a window seat guy because I, like, I love sleeping on a plane, especially if I got to work when I land. So I'm on the plane kind of first, got my stuff in, in the overhead bin, and, and I'm nuzzled up. And I'm thinking, if I'll go ahead and look like I'm asleep now, whoever sits next to me will leave me alone, let me sleep. How selfish is that, huh? Praise the Lord. Confession's good for the soul, but bad for the reputation. There you go. All right. <laughs> And so, 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 I, so I'm, I'm, all, I'm like this, but at the same time, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of peeking at the people that are boarding. Have you ever done this? You like size people up, and you're wondering, is that my person? And then your prayer life improves. Oh, God, not them, not them, not, not prayer, praise the Lord. <laughs> Come on, you've done that, right? And so I'm doing all that, like you've done, and obviously, because you've laughed, and um, yeah. And so finally, my guy comes, business guy, mid-50s probably, kind of brash, you know, and, and just kind of comes in and, and moves my stuff out of the overhead bin over, puts his stuff up there. And I'm thinking, oh, oh, oh. He takes his coat off, hits me in the head with it. I'm just thinking, this, oh. he doesn't know any of our southern charm, does he? He didn't want to get it. Oh. You know, and I was just, I'm really thinking, this guy is, oh. So he sits down, plops down, pushes my arm off the armrest. I'm thinking, my goodness. So I just kind of like, you know, just 
I'm, but I'm burning up inside. I'm just thinking, my goodness. And then he elbows me in my rib cage. He says, so, what do you do for a living? Well, I'm just going to tell you, when a pastor gets asked that question, you got to decide if you're going to lie or not. You really do, you know. And, <laughs> and so I said, well, I said, I'm a pastor. And he starts bawling, crying. I'm talking, hoo, not like tears, like, hoo, hoo, hoo. Like, and I have to tell you, I'm not proud of this. I'm just going to tell you my story. But my first thought was, oh, man, there goes the nap. Counseling session. <laughs> you know, counseling session, here we come, all right. So I said, all right, tell me what's up. You know? <laughs> I mean, I know it's terrible in it. I know. I'm ashamed. He starts telling me how he just came from the funeral of his best friend who, at 55, came home, lifted up his little girl in his arms, and he dropped dead of a heart attack, and she fell on top of him. She's telling me this whole story. And like, I'll never see him again. I'm never going to see him. I mean, he's just like going crazy. Like, and it was over the top. His name was Billy. I said, Billy. I said, bro, it's going to be all right. I said, the Bible says. He goes, no, 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 no. Don't go there. I said, why not? He goes, I'm Jewish. I said, Jesus was a Jew. He goes, all right, go ahead. I mean, that's exactly how it happened. I'm not making that up. <laughs> it was that easy, I know. Who thought? And so, so, um, so, he, he, so I, said, I said, well, the Bible says you can grieve, but it's not like the rest of men if you have a hope. I said, the reason why you're crying so hard is it's over, over for you. But if you had the hope of eternal life, you get to see the people you love again. You don't have the hope, and that's why this hurts so bad. And then he, like, teed it up for me. He said, well, how do you get the hope? And I said, well, I'm so glad you asked. And from Cincinnati to Boston, I explained the gospel to him and what Jesus came to do, to give you hope and a future and to change your life and to remove the stain. And, and so anyway, the plane lands at Logan International Airport in Boston, and, and, and we're kind of nearing the end of the conversation. We're, we're, we're exiting the plane. And I'm thinking, I did my job. Somebody else will get him in the rest of the way, you know. And I wasn't thinking about closing the deal at all. He pulls me off to the side and says, you can't leave me till I get the hope. <laughs> and I said, well, and I'm like talking him out of it. Like, you're going to have to pray to receive Jesus. And there's a lot of people around. You don't really want to do that, do you? He goes, oh, yeah, I want to. Like, in front of everybody. I mean, I'm, I'm the one now. And, and he says, no, I'm, I need the hope. I said, well, you've got to confess Jesus as your Lord. He said, I'm ready to do that. And he grabbed my hand right there in the middle, hundreds of people walking back and forth like, all right. And so I led him through the sinner's prayer, and he received Jesus as his Lord right there in the middle of Logan International Airport. Isn't that awesome? And, um, and then he, he, grabs, he grabs his wallet. He goes, man, what I owe you? This is really good stuff. I'm like, no, you can't pay for it. I mean, like, there's a verse that says it's free. I can't charge you. You know, and <laughs> he goes, no, I'm very wealthy. I own toy stores all across Boston. I said, well, I do have five kids. No, I didn't say that. I was thinking it, but I didn't say it. But anyway, he goes, I got to do something for you. I said, no, you can't. I said, he said, look, I was best man at Dennis Eckersley's wedding, the great relief pitcher for Boston Red Sox. He says, can I send you hand-signed baseball cards? I said, sure, send them. And so I gave my address. And sure enough, the next few days, I got these cards. And, and, and it, it simply, he simply said, it's, he said, thank you for giving me the hope. And I still keep it on my desk to remind me that it's not about the naps. And you're the best dad. You're, you're great. You're a great church. But, but never forget, it's not about lunch. It's not about the naps. 
Let's do everything we can to bring the hope of Jesus to this entire area. Can you say a good amen, everybody? And let's bow in prayer together. God, thank you for this church. Thank you for what you're doing inside of every single one of them and how you're using this church and every campus in such an amazing way. But Lord, we know that there's a gravitational pull. There's, there's a gravitational pull towards selfishness. And God, let us never forget the farsighted vision, the 37.3 lines around. God, let, let our food be your food, our passion be your passion. And God, let us be reminded today to touch and reach the people around us in every way that we can. At all the locations today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, today I want to um, just pray. Before we go to our response time, I wanted to pray for those who say, Chris, man, I'm like Billy. I, I kind of need the hope. Life's been not very good lately, and there's not been a whole lot of hope attached to it, and I feel like something's missing. And, and before we go to our response time, I just wanted to pray for you right there where you're seated. I'm not going to have you stand up. I'm not going to have you come to the front. I just, I just wanted to pray for you right there where you're seated. Just say, you know what? I think I'm ready to let Jesus take over my life. Or for some of us to, to give him the control again because I, I did, but I kind of took it back. And I just need the hope. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if that's you, would you just slip up a hand and say, Chris, when you pray, pray for me. Just put it up and you put it right back down. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Good. Just all over this room. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Way in the back. God bless you. Good. Right back here. God bless you. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Right over here. God bless you. Awesome. Awesome. Fantastic. Lord, I just pray for every single person who's opening their life to giving you the control again. And God, I just pray over our next few minutes as we get close to you and respond in different ways that, God, you would touch them like only you can. In Jesus' name we pray.